This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. I hope you enjoy today's warning program taught by Pastor Ty Goldstrom. He taught a message on the roads of temptation. He taught it on August 16, 2003, while I was preaching in Jamaica. Sit back and enjoy today's program. Well, I'm going to speak today for a few moments on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And this burden in my heart came as I was praying, and the Lord reminded me, as I've been going through some struggles and some reevaluating on some areas of my life that I need to shore up, He kept telling me over and over again, I want you to be more than a conqueror. Amen? I want you to be victorious in me. I want you to take on the full maturity of Jesus Christ. And he kept reminding me of my spiritual heritage. He kept reminding me of what his goals are for me, what he desires in my life. And that word conqueror kept coming back. That I can be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Amen? That He wants me to have that full maturity, that full stature, that rising up of the fruit of the Holy Ghost. Amen? And He has sent me to be an ambassador of His Word. An ambassador of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so today, as He spoke to me, I want to say to you that you can be more than a conqueror. And His desire for you is that you are more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. He sees you where you're at, but He sees you where He wants you to go. Amen? He can see the thing outside of time. When He says that He's faithful to complete the good work in you, we see it from where we are now. Amen? But He stands back and He sees the potential, doesn't He? And He gets excited, I believe, about His children. He gets excited about what He's going to do through you and me. He has great plans for you and me. And after the Lord reminded me of my spiritual heritage, how He wants me to succeed and prosper in spiritual ways, then He brought me back to the catalyst. What's going to make or break that? How am I going to get to that place? And from there, the title of the sermon today, The Roads of Temptation, is the title, and the text that we're going to use is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So we don't do this in the church very often anymore, but I 
plan to do more of an expository preaching, just really concentrating predominantly on those two verses today. I have a couple other texts that I'll refer to, but really I want to concentrate here. And we're going to take it section by section, starting with, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is Paul is reminding the Corinthian church. Now the Corinthian church, as you probably know, had issues. <laughs> Amen? They had some good things going on in Corinth, but they had a lot of bad things going on in Corinth. They had a, little, a lot of spiritual idolatry. They had a lot of syncretism of other religious worldviews that were meshed together with Christianity. Amen? But some things don't ever change. Amen? <laughs> we can go to many, many places, and I believe that really America is starting to be a hub of this. It used to be 20 years ago, we had to go to certain countries all over the world to find this syncretism, but now they're coming here. And now we have them all here. And you can go just about anywhere in this country, and you can find believers that in some way use the name of Jesus Christ. Yet, they do it from a different perspective than you and I. And it's interesting that we took that class on History of Christianity America Part 2, which brought us through, especially the last 100 to 150 years, and to see that even early in America, that Eastern religions came in very early. Now, we don't understand that. We don't know that unless we, again, research it. But transcendental meditation, all these areas that came from the East, they were very prevalent, especially as we came through the late 1800s into the early 1900s. And they really started proliferating when the spiritual climate of America started to fall into the 40s, through the war, the 50s, and into the 60s. It really started to fall, and those things really started to increase. And many of the mainstream bands, like the Beatles and other people, propagated that gospel, that message. And so today, just like back in Corinth a couple thousand years ago, the mixture religion was, was widespread. And he's saying to the church in Corinth in chapter 10, he's saying, remember back when the Lord, God, brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he brought them towards a promised land. And he says, remember that all of them had the benefit. All of them had the pillar of fire and the cloud. All of them drank through the rock. All of them. Amen? All of them had that benefit. He says it this way. Verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. All the Israelites had the benefits of being the people of Israel, that called out people, amen? The Lord said, I will go and I will save my people, Israel. And when that sea parted, it wasn't just the righteous that went through, but it was the unrighteous. It was always the mixture. It was the people of God that moved through the deliverance of God at that time. And the provisions of God afterwards, of water, of drink, of food, all Israel had that blessing. But in verse 5 it says this, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Other translations, and I like this word a little bit better. God was not pleased with the majority of them. 
their bodies were scattered over the desert. It wasn't God's will to bring them out in these miraculous signs and wonders for them to die in the deserts. His goal was a straight path from Egypt right to the promised land. Yet it was because of their disobedience that their bodies were scattered across the land. So Paul is telling the Corinth church, remember our ancestors who were miraculously exodus out from bondage and slavery, all had tremendous blessings in their lives. Yet Moses said that not all of them are righteous. And so he's saying that though you yourselves have the blessings of being called Christians, though you can use the name of Jesus Christ and you can have some of the benefits of being part of the body of Christ, you yourselves can attend a prayer service. You yourselves can attend a Holy Communion. But he's reminding that church of Corinth that just because you can attach yourself to the name of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean I'm pleased with you. It doesn't mean that you're in my will. And so he sets this whole thing up and says, all Israel, basically, and he says in the book of Romans, is not Israel. Just because you attach yourself to the name, I'm after the heart. And church of Corinth, just because you call yourself the church of Jesus Christ at Corinth, just because you call yourself Christian, just because you do things that Christians do, doesn't mean I'm pleased with you. I care about the heart. And that is really the context that leads up to what we're talking about here in verse number 12. So if you think you are standing, be careful that you don't fall. It's no different today. If Jesus Christ is looking at the church at America... And he had a prophetic word for the church at America. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing. He's saying, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. He's saying, just because you attach yourself with the Christian ethic, just because you call yourself Baptist or Catholic or whatever you call yourself, just because you go to church such and such days, doesn't mean I'm pleased with you. It doesn't mean that you're my child. Beware, look at your foundation, he's saying. You think you're standing, but really, you are falling. That's deception. Thinking that you're on solid rock, yet in reality, you're falling. So what he's saying to the church and what he's saying to us today is, you may attach yourself in some way to Jesus Christ. And how many times have you met somebody? If you ask them, are you born again? They'll reply something like, well, I'm Baptist or I'm Catholic, or I was confirmed. They'll always go back to historical events. But really, do you love, that's what, that's what I love to ask people, do you love Jesus Christ? Because that really breaks through it right there. Because the nice thing about that, don't ask somebody if they're a Christian, because that means a whole lot of things to a whole lot of people. But do you love Jesus Christ? Because what they say has to match up with the Word of God. Because Jesus Christ says, if you love me, what? You'll obey my commandments. Well, I have the commandments right here. I have the Word of God. And so if somebody's life tells me, I love Jesus Christ, then their lives somehow should resemble the Word of God. Like a handprint. I like using the analogy of the handprint. It should overlap. It should somehow resemble the Word of God. If you will love me, obey my commandments. Amen? And so today we got to make sure not only for the people out there, but for our lives. That we don't think and somehow we're justified just because we somehow enjoy the benefits of the body of Christ. 
Our justification comes by one thing alone. That's by the surrendered faith in Jesus Christ. By laying our life on that altar and saying, Lord, I am unworthy, but you are worthy. That's our justification. He is pleased in us when we do that. But just because we attend religious festivals, just because we attend a church service, just because we're doing the work of the ministry, that doesn't mean he's pleased with your heart. There are a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of work, but don't have the heart. They don't have the relationship, the love, the intimacy. That's what he wants. And so he's saying, don't let deception fool you. Constantly make sure your foundation is on the rock of Jesus Christ, lest you fall. Second part says, no temptation has seized you except what is common unto man. This is the first time we encounter the word temptation, which in the Greek is pirosmos. And it's wonderful because so many times when we have to go back to the Greek language, the Greek language has so much more vitality and energy towards the word. But really, this is one of the very few words that I've ever found that the English and the Greek are almost synonymous. When we think of the word temptation, it really doesn't change in the Greek. There's not five words for temptation in the Greek. There is one word. So in the English language, when, you, when it says temptation, in the Greek it's meaning temptation and really what you think about it. It's really thinking about a trickery. It's really thinking about that deception to try to pull you away from what you know is right. And so when we say the word temptation, most Christians get the proper understanding of what it means. Now it's interesting that phrase, common to man. And really, I looked about five different translations and every single one of them said the same thing. They all say common to man. And that word common to man is one Greek word. Common to man. And it's anthropinos. And it's very similar to the word anthropos, which is man. And anthropinos, really, and it's translated more, most often, human. So we can say, no temptation has seized you what is common to the human. Now it's interesting because most of the translations leave that alone because they don't know how to translate that other than just leave it like that. Common unto man, whatever that might mean. Now the Amplified Version, which is never short on trying to translate something, <laughs> for the better or for worse, because most of the time it does a pretty good job. But I want to read you what it says about this part. Verse number 13. For no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. There we go. Common to man. So what does that mean? Well, it's going to interpret. It says, that is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. Now, that's interesting. I believe that everything it said right there was totally true. Now, I don't believe that's everything that that passage in the Greek was trying to say, but the interpretation was good. But one thing as I started meditating on that verse, as common unto man, here he just talks about this whole thing about deception and making sure you're guarding your ground and make sure you're not going to fall because of your deception. And then he goes right into this thing that is common unto man. And I believe that in some ways, this is really looking at the perspective, not just of the Christian, but also the perspective of the tempter. Because one thing I found in my study is that when he uses the word tempter to talk about Satan, it uses the exact same word as temptation. The exact same word. 
but used to mean the tempter. And so the tempter, when he looks at the Christian, he understands the implications of the fall. He understands what happened back in the Garden of Eden. He had a plot because he knew the state of man apart from the fall. And so now he sees the weakness of man, and he says, I know how to tempt now. I know how to go after them. And that is the common unto man, I believe, in many ways. It's that Satan comes, and he is the author of temptation, isn't he? No one else tempts. It's the devil that tempts. And so when he tempts somebody, he's doing it with an understanding of the weakness of man. Amen? Does the devil understand your weakness? <laughs> Does he know just where to get you? He is intelligent being. He's not an idiot. He has limitations, and we'll get into that. But he's not an idiot. He's more powerful and knows more intellectually than you and I in many ways. And that's why we can't trust in ourselves. We have to trust on Jesus Christ. Because we cannot stand up to Satan. We cannot stand up to his temptation by ourselves. Amen? It's not about you. It's not about a battle. It's me and Satan. We're going head to head. You'll lose every time. Don't misunderstand. One of the most important things in battle is to understand your enemy. To understand the power of your enemy. To understand the strengths of your enemy. The limitations of your enemy. If you can understand your enemy, then you understand what you need to overcome your enemy. And the more you study about Satan, all you can say is, I need the Lord. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Because he has more understanding. I think in a lot of ways he has a lot better theology than most Christians. He knows more about the spiritual reality than most Christians do. Most Christians kind of push off the spiritual realm. Close themselves off to it. Become natural and intellectual about their faith. The devil loves that. The devil says, Amen. I like that sermon. Just deny that I'm even out there. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine a, a physical war in which the, the, the army says, I don't even believe that they're out there. Oh, that's exactly where you want. Talk about a surprise attack every time. Part 3 says, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Isn't that good news? Amen. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So i got a couple of principles I want to share. First, God sets limitations on the intensity of temptations. He knows your limitations. I ask you, what's your weakness? What is this thing that you constantly struggle with? Whether it's materialism, or selfishness, or gossip, or lust, sexually, or any other way, God knows your limitation. He knows your breaking point. He knows that you are created from the dust of the earth. He knows how much you can endure. Amen? Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. In 32, it's the Last Supper. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this. He dresses Simon and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. And the interesting thing is that you is plural. So he's addressing Simon, but really he's talking to all the disciples at the table. He's saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, you guys, all of you. He has asked to sift you as wheat. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith 
may not fail. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, at the Last Supper, looks at these men that have been with him for years now. And he says, I need to let you know something. Satan has come to me. And he has asked permission to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that you might not fail. Praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Satan had to ask. Amen? He couldn't just do whatever he wants. You've got to remember who he is. He is not equal to God. It is not just dualism. God has infinite good. The devil is infinite bad. Equally bad is God is good. And they're going to go into head-to-head combat. That is not the picture, friends. The picture is Lucifer, a created being. Amen? He is created. And he doesn't have all the sovereignty he wants. He doesn't, can't do everything he wants. He has to come and ask. Remember the discourse with Job. Satan can't come to the children of God and do every single thing he wants. You have to understand that. He must ask. Amen? Now that brings me good news. Why? Because I already started out saying that Jesus wants to be more than a conqueror. He wants you to take on the full maturity of Jesus Christ. He wants infinite good for your life. And the one that doesn't want infinite good for your life has to come to the one who does want that and ask permission. Amen? Praise the Lord. That's a good position to be in, folks. That's the position I want to be in. Those who want to do injustice to me, those who want to destroy me, have to come to my Papa. Amen? Have to come to my God, the lover of my soul, and have to get permission for anything, really. Amen? Second thing that shows us is that Jesus is intimately involved in our lives. And that goes against a lot of teaching about religion today. Again, as we have studied throughout church history, the church in America. So often, in the Unitarians, the Deists, and others, it was that old God that sets the old clock and kind of sets it aside and backs out of human affairs. But the scripture says here that Jesus Christ not only sets limitations on what the tempter can do, but he's intimately involved in your life. So when you have your weakness, and you feel that you're separated from everybody, I am the only one that succumbs to that temptation. i got to guard myself. Make sure everyone else knows about it. God has abandoned me. The scripture says, no, he's right there. He is that spiritual referee that allows and disallows certain things to happen in your personal life for your personal weakness. That brings me security. That makes me feel good. That though I have struggles and weaknesses, Jesus Christ is right there every single day. And every single temptation, it is not beyond his knowledge and understanding. He is intimately involved in the situation. Now that's a beautiful thing. I have my notes here. It says it is imperative that these principles are understood and accepted. What principles? One, that Satan has limitation. Two, that Jesus is intimately involved in your life in the areas of temptation. Why are these so important that you must both understand and accept these? Because if you do not, you will make an excuse after excuse about why you fall. 
You'll say, I had to do it. I had no choice. The devil made me do it. Jesus abandoned me. He pulled away. You will make excuse and excuse and justification for your sin and succumbing to temptation if you don't come to accept those two principles. That Satan has limitations. He has to ask. And Jesus is intimately involved in every aspect. We have to grasp that. Amen? we got to grasp it and we got to accept it. Because we make those excuses. I make those excuses all the time. Subtly and deceptively. I try to justify my sin. But if I really understood that Jesus Christ is right there at every temptation, and I can grab his hand spiritually, and he'll provide a way out, a way of success. You know how powerful that would be? But we fight a deceiver, don't we? And we'll get into that. If your perspective is amiss, your perspective on Jesus Christ, your perspective on the devil, then your reactions will also be amiss. If you have a football team that's 0-12, amen? They haven't won a single game. They have not scored a single point all season long. Last game of the year, they play the team that's 12-0. and 0. Amen? Now, the way that they mentally come prepared for that game, the way they see themselves and the way they see that other team is going to directly correlate to how the outcome of that game is going to be. Do you know that in almost every competitive sport, it's always about confidence and how you perceive yourself that really makes or breaks the game? Amen? If you see yourselves as worthless, there's no possible way we could win. We are already defeated. The game hasn't started yet, but we are already defeated. We're 0-12. They're 12-0. There's no way. Then you are already defeated. You have already defeated yourself by your mindset. Before the whistle even blows, you are defeated. It is no different than how we see Jesus Christ and the adversary. If you see yourself as, just is just the way that I am. I have always struggled with this sin. My dad always struggled with this sin. It is just the way I am. Then it is just the way you'll always be. You'll never change. Why? Because you've justified your sin. You have not encountered it. You have not faced it. But you have justified it. Why? Because you've had a wrong understanding of the power of Satan and a wrong understanding of the power of Jesus Christ. You've got to get those right. That is the foundation which to work off of. Amen? Praise the Lord. It says at the end there, it says, But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Principle one, God always provides an escape hatch. With every temptation, and listen to me closely, He provides an escape hatch. With every temptation, there are two roads. One road of that temptation leads to what? Temptation, if succumbed to, leads to sin. Sin, if it takes on its full maturity, leads to death. That's one road. The other road of temptation? Resistance to temptation. Amen? Resistance leads to what? Sanctification. Sanctification leads to what? It really leads to that progressive working out your salvation, the crown of life. So one road, when temptation comes, you've got to see it as a road with a fork in it. One way leads to death. The other way leads to life. Amen? Life and death through temptation. 
Now, it's interesting to note, and it's so important to understand this, that the escape hatch is not the escape from temptation. He has not promised you that you will fly away from temptation. It is not His will that you never have temptation in your life. The escape hatch is not fleeing the temptation. It's not not having temptation. It's overcoming the temptation. It's enduring the temptation. Temptation is not sin. Jesus Himself was tempted. From Jesus' perspective, when He looks at your life, temptation is not bad. Why? Because there's two roads that branch off. One of them leads to the crown of life. Overdoing, overcoming, resisting, sanctification. When he looks at temptation in your life, he looks at it a lot different, I believe, than most Christians look at it. We always think negative. Negative. Fight. Either I resist till the next time, or I succumb and I keep going down that path of destruction. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. He sees it as a possibility of prosperity spiritually. As a place of sanctification and growth in your life. So that temptation only brings you to the fork in the road. And he desires that you overcome, that you resist. There's an old saying that says that opportunity only knocks once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. (laughs) Isn't that so true though? I mean, opportunity, it comes once in a while, but temptation, you don't have to go out looking for temptation. How do you find temptation? You just start doing the will of God. You'll find plenty of temptation. Amen? It leans on the doorbell, saying, will somebody please crack that door open and see who's there? Amen? Praise the Lord. Opportunity knocks once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. Jesus desires that we endure temptation, have victory over temptation, not escape temptation. Because why? Because temptation comes, why? That strengthens our faith. Temptations and trials and sufferings come that we might prosper spiritually. God wants to take what Satan has for destruction in your life and turn it for your benefit. That is a beautiful thing. Praise the Lord. God, when he looks at your life and how he wants to prosper you, he actually uses Satan's wiles and devices to bring you to a place of increase. Only God could do something like that. But the devil is so such a deceiver that he keeps trying over and over the same things. And God, if you allow him, will turn that deception, turn that temptation into your strength, into your victory. See it as two roads. Whenever a temptation comes upon you, and you have that split second to the side, you've got to see it as I have two roads to travel here. One that leads to life, one that leads to death. John 17, verses 14 and 15, and verse 17 says this, Jesus is praying to his Father on behalf of the disciples. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. See those words there? Jesus is not saying, put them inside this thing where they can't even really interact with the evil one anymore. He's saying that when the evil one comes, and I know he'll come, don't take them out, but protect them. Turn that bad into a good. He's interceding for you and me. Praise the Lord. That is exciting. He is interceding. Remember when he said to his disciples that Satan came to sift you, but I prayed for you. He's still doing the same thing, friends. 
He is still interceding for you. He is still petitioning on our behalf to the Father. He is both the judge and the lawyer. That is a good place to be, friends. If I'm on trial, I want the judge to be my lawyer. I'm in a pretty good corner. And it's exactly what it is. He is the lawyer and he is the judge. And he's on your side. Praise the Lord. James chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Consider it joyful, the Lord says, when you encounter trials and temptation. Now, in my Christian walk, I've understood the trials part, and I think of tough circumstances, but I've really never hit face-to-face that I'm supposed to rejoice and be joyful when I encounter temptation. That's what the Word of God says. (laughs) He says, when you're tempted, be joyful. Now, that strikes something inside my heart that says, wait wait a second, something's wrong there. My natural man doesn't want to accept that. Be joyful when you're tempted. Now, when it's something small that I know that I can just push aside and not endure, but what about that thing that's hard for you to endure? What about that thing that you have succumbed to over and over again for 10, 20, 30 years that you've always had a problem with it. And the Lord's looking down and He's saying, when you're tempted, be joyful. That's what He's saying. Be joyful. Why? Well, first and foremost, as we've already talked about, temptations, trials, and sufferings are the chief means that Jesus Christ will allow you to grow. Joy? Yes. Why? Because we know that Satan has limitations. When we're tempted with that thing that we've always succumbed to and we have problems with, if you just know in that second that Satan has limitations and Jesus is intimately involved, you can be joyful. If you know that Jesus Christ is both your lawyer and your judge, at every single temptation, then you have a reason to be joyful. Then you have a reason to be joyful. But you know what the problem is? It's because we fight against a deceiver. And so Satan comes and he tempts. But he doesn't just tempt, he also tries to deceive our mind into thinking that Jesus Christ is not intimately involved. That Jesus Christ is not near, he is not there for that way of escape. That just as you have always succumbed in the past, so that you are going to succumb right now. There is really no option for you. And so we talk about temptation being a road that splits. When you look at your problem and your issue, you're like, I don't see no fork, I just see the path of destruction. (laughs) Amen? I've been down that path every single time for 30 years. What do you mean there's a fork? I don't see the fork. And what I'm saying to you is that Satan has deceived you. Satan has blinded your eyes from the escape hatch. He has not shown you. He has deceived you into thinking. Why? Because he slanders the character of Jesus Christ. Christ says, I'm intimately involved. Satan says, no, he's not. He doesn't care about your circumstance. You failed over and over again. He pulls away from you in certain times. And so you look at your circumstance and you say, I don't see the road to life. I just see the road that I've traveled for 30 years in this area, which has always been sin, condemnation, destruction. But Jesus Christ is saying right now, he wants to wipe away that deception. And he wants to put a big green arrow. Detour. <laughs> Amen. Go this way. That is the way of escape. I will provide it. I will provide the way of escape. Even though for 30 years in your life, every single day perhaps, 
You have gone down that same road over and over again. You are so familiar with that road. And it's almost become comfortable for you because you've been there so much. But Jesus Christ is saying, today is a new day. I'm going to wipe that thing clean and I'm going to show you the escape hatch. So you can endure, withstand, bear, and overcome and resist temptation. Amen? He's intimately involved, folks. He is right there at that corner, at that bifurcation, where that thing splits. He's right there saying, this way! This way! And he'll even hold your hand and start walking with you. He's intimately involved in your lives. But don't believe Satan. Satan wants to breathe that faith that God stands back and doesn't care about your situation. He might care for your other person's situation, but your situation, no, God's not involved with that situation. He's a deceiver, isn't he? He's the accuser of the brethren. And he's really the accuser of God and the character of God. Joy, yes, because I know that the friction and the buffering of Satan can be turned into a spiritual callous of resistance against the wiles and devices of the tempter. Amen? If you allow it, God can allow those attacks, those temptations, that buffering of Satan when he rubs up against you. He can turn that into your strength if you allow him. I think of my hands when I do hard work. I start shoveling. What happens over time? I build up a callus, don't I? A resistance. Why? So I won't get damaged. So my flesh won't get infected. The body's reaction is to put up a callus so that you don't get hurt. And Jesus Christ wants to do the same thing when the devil comes to hurt you, to buffer you, to cause friction in your life. He wants to turn it into your good. He wants to increase that and make it a resistance that you can be a mighty fortress in this area. But you've got to understand that every temptation has the prospect of prosperity in your life. If you see every temptation as a potential for spiritual blessing, then I believe we'll overcome more and more. If we only see it as, it's me and the devil, we're going hand-to-hand combat right here. That just leads to condemnation and death. Because you'll never win that victory. You can't beat Satan. But the scripture says that Jesus Christ is intimate. He's praying for that situation. And he provides an escape hatch that you can endure it, withstand it by his blood, by his power. That's exciting. I pray that the Lord would help each one of us in our temptations. And every single one of us knows the areas we struggle with. That every single time you say, I am going to remember these truths. I am going to remember that Jesus Christ is right here. He's not down the street. He's not in heaven. He is right here. Right here. Within you. He's praying for you, and He's in you. He can't get more intimate than that, folks. He can't lay hands on you, because He's in you. Praise the Lord. He is right there within you to do battle for you. But you got to stop trying to beat down by yourself the gates of the enemy, because you'll lose. It is only by the blood of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, that the gates of Hades will be broken. you got to put down your natural weapons and pick up your spiritual weapons. Amen? Amen. And when Satan comes knocking on your door, remember, you don't entertain him, you don't talk to him. You just turn around and say, Jesus, it's for you. Amen? You do the battle, Jesus. 
You provide the escape hatch. I will follow. I will surrender. I will be in obedience. I heard a story once of a pastor that it was his tradition after every sermon that he would go up towards the front door, and a lot of pastors do this, and the congregation will greet him on the way out. Well, a pretty promiscuous lady, every single Sunday after the service, she'd be wearing a fairly provocative dress, she would come up and just give this big old bear hug to this pastor. I mean, I'm talking not a, not a nice, polite hug. I mean, body to body. And it made him really, it concerned him. And he dreaded almost coming there every Sunday because he knew right after his sermon he had to go up there and this lady would do this every single time. And week after week went and he's got these big old bear hugs from this lady wearing a provocative dress and he was embarrassed and didn't know what to do and he felt like... And finally the Lord, he said, Lord, help me. Lord, give me, a, give me a way of escape. Help me in this area. He didn't want to abandon greeting his flock on the way out. He didn't want to do that. The Lord says, she was coming down the line, she was like four or five away, and the Lord says, pick up that child. <laughs> and he picked up the child. And the sister came by, and he extended the right hand of fellowship and said, God bless you. We'll see you next week. And you know what he said? He said, every single Sunday afterwards, God always put a child right next to me when that lady came up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, that's a practical thing. But I use it for an illustration that God will give the way of escape. He'll give the word of wisdom. He'll give you a word of knowledge. He'll give you a word that's founded in the word of God of a way of escape. He'll do it. But you must believe it. You must get out of that mentality. It is a fork in the road and there's a choice. We cannot blame any person or any circumstance. God says, you have a choice. If you succumb to temptation, it is not because I wasn't there. It wasn't because Satan is too powerful. So stop using those excuses. It is a fork in the road, and we have a choice. If your fork looks like a knife, you got a problem. Okay? If it looks like a knife, if it looks like a straight path to destruction, it's because the devil has deceived you from the path of righteousness. Jesus wants to erase that deception so you can see Jesus on the aircraft carrier, waving you in. This way, brother, sister. This way, my child. He's not trying to be subtle. It's not like he's hiding things under a rock so you can find out what next place to go. He wants you to live the path of righteousness. He wants it to be so obvious. But you have to be willing. You have a part to play. Because no temptation is too great for you. No temptation. The first chapter of James, we read verse 2. It says a couple more things about temptation farther on that we've covered some of the principles already. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's the New International Version. I don't like how they translate that because they use the word trial and really it should be temptation. And the Amplified Version didn't know what to do with it, so they used both, trial and temptation. That's fine. I think the King James uses temptation. Yes, it does. Verse 12 in the King James, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Remember that, that one fork in the road. If you endureth temptation, where does it lead? The crown of life. The crown of life. If you endure temptation. Amen? I remember one time, it seemed like about three or four years ago, I preached on Galatians chapter 2, I believe, chapter 1, chapter 2. 
that you have been crucified with Christ, you no longer live, yet Christ lives in you. Amen? And at the end it says, don't frustrate the grace of God. It said, don't frustrate His grace. Don't frustrate His path of salvation for you. He has given you a path to have success and to freedom and to overcome and endure. Don't frustrate the path. And I use the analogy of, of a backyard that was full of blackberry bushes. And you couldn't even hardly open the back door and it was full of bushes. And the father said, finally, I'm going to go out there and take care of it. And he puts a nice path all the way through the backyard, three feet long, clears all the bushes. And the child comes out, looks around, and jumps right into blackberry bushes. That's what we do so often. The Lord makes a clear path of salvation. He parts the sea for you, and then you jump right into the, right into the problem, right into the face of the devil. Don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't frustrate his plan for you. Just accept it. Understand it. Cling to it. Amen? I mean, if I'm sitting at the, the Red Sea and Moses puts the staff down and it parts, I'm following Moses. Amen? I'm not going to go investigate and checking it out. I'm following Moses. So when the Lord opens up the path, when the Lord gives you that hatch of escape, work that plan, would you? Just say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. It might not even make sense to you. It may seem irrational to you, but it is the plan of escape. Praise the Lord. I like what it says at the end of chapter 1. I'm reading from the King James Version. Verse 19, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Verse 21 and I'm going to read actually verse 21 in the Amplified. So get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness. And in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the Word. The Word. Receive it and welcome it, which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. That's a powerful verse right there. That's James chapter 1, verse 21. That was in the Amplified Version. So get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness. Now being a medical man, when I think of that, I think of taking an abscess and busting it open and just having junk come all out. That's what I'm thinking about. And the Lord's saying, spiritually, get that out of there. Let me poke my word into that thing and impregnate you with my word. And when I impregnate with the Word, you'll be so full of the Word that there's no room left for the junk, the filth, the malodorous stuff that makes the nostrils of God go, whoo, the flesh. Amen? He's saying, I want to so impregnate you with the Word of God, which will provide you an escape path, which will show you with spiritual eyes the path that I've laid for escape, that you won't have room for this filth this repugnant filth of the flesh. And in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word, which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. The word of God is not deeply implanted or rooted in your heart unless you read it, unless you meditate upon it, unless you devour it. You can know a few little verses. You can... Attach yourself to the Word of God by being able to say the Lord's Prayer. But the, God is saying here, I want that Word to be implanted 
and rooted in you. Rooted in you. And if your root is founded in the Word of God, then every spiritual fruit of the Holy Spirit will manifest. Amen? So there is a path and there are roads to temptation. The Lord has been speaking to me so strongly that in areas where I fail, it's because I failed because I've had a wrong perspective of Jesus Christ and a wrong perspective of Satan. That every temptation is a place for prosperity. And if I would just look at it that way and understand that Jesus Christ is right there, that I will have the joy of temptation because I know that I can conquer through Jesus Christ. And that's exciting. Praise the Lord. The roads of temptation. I told my wife I wouldn't speak more than 40 minutes today. I'm not sure how far we are. She said, yeah, right. <laughs> but praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your precious word. I pray for each of my brothers and my sisters here, man, woman, and child, from the youngest unto the oldest, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that in those areas in which they struggle with, perhaps areas that they've struggled with for years and years and years, perhaps there are areas that they can see even in their generation, even in their parents, grandparents. I pray, dear God, that they would see that that road does not have to lead to destruction because you do want to give them the escape hatch. You want them to prosper, Lord God. You want them to be overcomers, to conquer in your name. You want them, dear God, to come into a promised land. You want to part the sea in that temptation. Father God, you have given us the grace, the mercy, to follow your plan of righteousness. Help us, dear God, not to set aside, not to frustrate the grace of God. Help us, dear God, to have a clear understanding of who you are. To understand that you're intimate, that you love us, that you're right here. That in every temptation, we don't have to beckon you as if to call you from a long and faraway land because you are right there, Lord. Let us understand that, Lord. We don't have to wait for time as if it takes time for you to come or space for you to travel. You are right there, Jesus, to deliver us, to save us, to let us endure, to resist, to build a spiritual callus that we can be a mighty fortress for you, Lord. Help us, dear God, to have a clear understanding of the intimacy in Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Rabbi Sandaramasi. Father God, let us not, in arrogance and in deception, think that we stand unless we fall. Let us not say, who is Apollos, who is Paul, because it's you that makes the thing grow, Lord. There will be a time in the future where you will come down and judge with fire and every man's work will be tested. Help us, dear God, to build on a solid foundation. I come against the wiles and the devices of the enemy, the deceptions upon my brothers and sisters. Father God, I pray that you would show us who you are, that you would reveal yourself for who you are. That we would not put upon you concepts and understandings and baggage from our past. That we would not judge you based on bad relationships in the past. That you would deliver us and emotionally heal us in those areas, Lord. That we can see you as you say you are in the Word of God and by your Spirit, Lord. Father God, let us not be deceived. Let us not be swayed by the devil. 
But let us understand our adversary, that he has limitations, that he has to come to you and ask for permission. And if you say yes, if you allow it, it's because you know that your child can endure. You would never say, go ahead, Satan, to something that we could not withstand because you're a God of love, you're a God of grace and mercy, you're a God of compassion. If you allow a temptation to come upon us, it's because you know that you, by the power of your Spirit, can give us an escape hash that we can have victory in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Father God, let us see. With our spiritual eyes, let us see the fork in the road. Let us see the fork in the road, Lord God. And let us see the garbage and destruction on the path of death. And let us see the glorious lights. Let us see Jesus Christ saying, Come, my child, I will show you the way. I will show you the cleft in the rock in the midst of the storm. You are that safe harbor, Lord God. You will protect us, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bring us to that place, Lord God, where we can rejoice in temptation. Because we know and we're assured of the victory that we'll have, Lord God. Because so much of our spiritual success and our spiritual prosperity, it depends on how we react to temptations, to trials, and to suffering, Lord God. You use these as some of the main ways to get spiritual authority and spiritual power. It is by these means, Lord God. But let us have success in these areas, Lord. Let us use these areas as catalysts to spiritual authority, Lord. I pray a blessing on every single person here, Lord. Man, woman, and child. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to rely upon you. Help us to get our mind absorbed and our heart absorbed into the Word of God, which is able to save my soul. Let us get rid of all unfilthiness. Let us get rid of all the repugnant and stagnant let us get rid of everything that devices, that causes us to stumble and to fall. Let us get rid of it, dear God. Let us give you permission to take that spiritual scalpel and rip us open that all that junk can flow out, Lord God. Let us not harbor it in our hearts, Lord God, but let us surrender it to you, Lord God. Let us say, come, Lord Jesus, and cleanse my heart. Cleanse the wickedness. Cleanse the gossip, the slander. Cleanse the lust, the materialism. Cleanse it from my heart, Lord God. Oh, Ramasan, Ramasi. And then, Father God, impregnate us with the Word of God. Let it be filling within us, Lord God. Let the Word of God come. Let us spend time in Your Word. Let us spend time with You, Jesus, so that we're not tricked any longer. You desire to be more than conquerors for You, Lord. You have provided the way out. The devil has limitations. And we have victory in the name of Jesus. I pray victory on my brethren. Victory in the name of Jesus. Let us have victory in you, Lord God. Now I pray, dear God, that you take us home safely. Whatever we put our hands to today, Lord God, let it be in accordance with your word and your spirit. Let everything in our mind, every thought of our mind, every meditation of our hearts, everything we say, think, and do, Lord God, let it be for your glory and for your majesty. Bless, Lord God, the word today. Bless it, Lord God. Let it be deep within us and let it bear fruit. Let it be guarded through meditation and prayer. We love you, Lord. We commit our lives to you. We pray, dear God, that you be with Pastor Hansen and the team down there right now. Father God, we pray that you would endure them with power. 
Power from on high, Lord God. The finger of God. Let your power flow through them, Lord. Give them success. Give them favor with man. Let signs and wonders, miracles accompany the word of God today. Protect them, Lord God, by your precious blood. Bind up the strong man in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Give them such clear discernment, Lord God. Let them be led so intimately by the power of your Holy Ghost. Turn left, turn right, but give them that way of escape, Lord God. The pit that's been aligned by the devil. Let it be averted by wisdom and discernment, by your protection, Lord God. Bless them, Lord God. And when they travel home shortly, I pray blessing on them, protection on them, Lord God. That every car, every bus, Lord God, every airplane, that your angels be upon it, the blood of Jesus would be there. The Spirit of God, the power of God, the protection of God. Bless them, Lord. Prosper them, Lord God. Let there be success for Jamaica, success for the people of Jamaica. Let there be, dear God, a Red Sea experience for Jamaica. A time of deliverance, of liberation, of freedom. A time to come out of spiritual oppression. A time to walk in the lights of Jesus Christ. Bless that nation, Lord God, and bless your servants. We love you, Lord. We commit our lives to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.